hello and welcome hello my god we did it yes. we're here <laughs> so um yeah it's been three long weeks yeah since we've recorded oops we well not even an oops it was like one week you had covid oh yeah true another week i accidentally overscheduled myself because we had a game like a D brunch that so like we took her to the air took robbie to the airport to be with the grandparents for a few weeks and then I had accidentally scheduled our D&D later that day. And that was like the day we needed to record. Yeah. And then uh, oh well, everything got stupid. And yeah. yeah. I'm sure we'll get better soon. We always <laughs> say that. We did warn that like yeah. June, July, August yeah. were going to be fucking nuts. And they are. They've yeah. been insane. It's just it's summer. Yeah. And like it's been hard to get Robbie. Take her places and d- keeping her busy for the summer. Because mostly it's been her just playing a lot of playstation yeah and bullshitting with friends online what does she play on there what do you mean like what game does she play a lot of genshin impact okay that's what um, i thought but... there's like other stuff now i can't even remember i don't know i hardly pay attention yeah. to what she's playing <laughs> um yeah other than that for me it's just been work i don't know how about yeah you yeah same. the same just working i feel like i've been working so much just like you always there been. so yeah. oh yeah because we were supposed to meet up that one night oh we were gonna go to that show we were gonna oh, go to some yeah. like pop cover show like yeah it, was, it just looked like fun i really wanted to go to it i was sad though because we did the um that fucking moonlight on the mountain or whatever thing what for um cheyenne mountain that oh 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 yeah that's right that's right would you be <laughs> oh is my that God. too much trauma to go <laughs> through uh i don't know should i tell this story Maybe i, I might quick, tell the whole thing quick, yeah like recap so basically moonlight on the mountain it's this thing shine mountain does it's like 21 and over and different vendors you actually i guess don't have to pay to go to that so like oh, yeah so it's kind of like you're giving these free samples and getting kind of like free advertisement and also helping them run this thing where they're charging like 90 dollars a ticket so anyways we go um they had told us like so we did it last year and we were in like a little building like the reptile area kind Mm -hmm. of room and it was indoors it was actually like really hot since it was the reptile room well then this year they're like oh you're in africa so we get there and everybody has tents it's just like me and then two other workers yeah two other co-workers yeah. yeah And we're all, like, very confused. It's, like, raining. We're holding, like, boxes of cupcakes and, like, just standing by where we're supposed to be. And it was really cute because we're right by the meerkats. So they're just, like, so cute, like, standing up, like, staring at us, like, watching everything that's going on. And, yeah, I felt like everyone was kind of, like, laughing at us. Like, wow, these girls are kind of dumb. Whatever. (laughs) So we're like, we need a tent because everyone had fucking tents. We didn't have a tent and it was raining. So we walk back. We put everything back in the fucking car and like if anyone's never been to cheyenne mountain zoo it's like very like it's literally on the sorry it's literally on the side of a mountain yeah and it's like lots of hills and almost like a fucking hike to walk through the zoo so anyways we walk back put all the shit in the car and then we're just like waiting there and one of my co-workers calls her boyfriend he comes with a tent that he goes and buys at fucking big lots or big r or something like that says he's our manager gets into the zoo brings us the tent we set up the tent and because it was raining and like windy we didn't have any sandbags and apparently everyone else had sandbags like they knew everything to bring and our fucking tent is blowing away like almost into the fucking meerkat enclosure 
all the meerkats like run into their little <laughs> holes they're like hiding um so her boyfriend's like oh wait i have stuff i have stuff to hold the tent down he brings back like a chainsaw a battery a tree stump <laughs> so then we have this tent we're like tying it down with all of this stuff everyone's looking at us like we're fucking crazy <laughs> like the i think it was like the lady running the whole thing comes up with her little fucking what is it uh walkie talkie and is like looking at the chainsaw like because it's like a giant fucking chainsaw yeah, it was really embarrassing. Whatever. So we had only baked off. I think they told us in the email, bake off 2,000 cupcakes, mini cupcakes. Um, another one of our coworkers tells us, you don't need that many cupcakes, uh, tells us to bake off 600 that we'll have leftovers. So the event starts at 6. It's like 6 to 10, but they have like the VIP thing where mm -hmm. people come at 5. So people start showing up at 5 and literally by 6.30, I think it was like 6.35, I looked at my phone and we were completely out of like mini cupcakes. Yep. And so then we're like, fuck, like we still have like three hours left and no samples. So then we text the owner. The owner's like, okay, I'll bring you guys samples. Like, and the owner of the shop, she doesn't really decorate or anything like that so she just grabbed like whatever's in the store like cupcakes that were in our case like in the freezer like random brownies they started to like slice up a cheesecake in many <laughs> squares but didn't bring it because that was not working yeah yeah so they show up with all these cupcakes um we walk down to the front and actually during this time too, like they have like a restricted area that one time when I went to the zoo, it's like a shortcut, like through a fence and then you walk down this little like walkway and then like through another fence and it's like instead of walking all the way around like this fucking hike, oh, okay. you just go through these fences and it like takes you to like almost down at the end. So I was like, Michelle, I know the shortcut, <laughs> like... It has, like, all these signs, like, restricted. Da, 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 like, fuck like, this. Right? So, we... I open the fence. We, like, start going through it. I'm, like, running down the little walkway. And beca <laughs> because I was, like, scared and trying to hurry, I go to push up the fence. And, like, I think it's going to open farther than it does. And I go to, like, you know, run. And it swings back and fucking <laughs> smacks me right in my forehead, dude. I still have, like, it's still oh sore from that, God. dude. I don't remember this part of the story. Yeah, I don't know if I told you that. But then, like, my head was, like, scratched, like, a little bit of blood. I had, like, a huge fucking knot on it. Thank God I have bangs because yeah. I showed Michelle. She's like, are you okay? Like, then we were, like, laughing because I'm a fucking idiot. Yeah. And then I was like, okay, like, let's just, like, I was, like, trying not to draw attention to us. And yeah. then I literally, like, run into this fence. People are, like, staring at us. We just, like, close it, whatever, run away. Um, we get to the front because the owner's like, I'm on my way. Like, we're walking down to meet her. It's, like, raining now, like, kind of heavy. <laughs> and we grab the fucking cupcakes and shit she brought. And it's, like, whole cupcakes, not mini cupcakes. And then our other coworker, who was all the way at the top with the booth with her boyfriend, they were kind of, like, watching the place. She came down to meet us to help us carry stuff because we couldn't carry it all by ourselves. So then, yeah, we're walking back up. And then... Okay, so anyways, her coworker walks down, like, um, her boyfriend ended up having to leave, so as she's, like, coming down and we're walking back up or whatever together with all the stuff, she's like, yeah, so hopefully the tent's still there. And we're like, what? She's like, yeah, like, Justin left, so we're like, what? And we're, like, very confused, and yeah, I guess 
I don't fucking know. Anyways, he... <laughs> some shit went down. Yeah, yeah, some shit went down. He left. So he took his chainsaw. He took the fucking tree stump, all his shit. So then basically our tent's just sitting there with nothing holding it down. We get back to the top. Thankfully, it was still there. We set the boxes down of cupcakes and stuff. And people... It's like literally, dude, a madhouse. Like people just start lining up like hundreds of people. Like it had to have been a line of like at least 100 people. Fuck. And they're all waiting to get cupcakes. People are coming up, like, grabbing them. I keep telling Michelle, like, I think we should cut them. I think we should cut them into, like, samples. We have, like, it's like one of those tree stump cake stands that I'm using as a fucking cutting board and a tiny little paring knife, like, literally this fucking big. Like the size of a yeah. fucking lighter. Like, I have nothing to wipe it off. No rag. Nothing. So it's, like, very dirty. It's, yeah. like, coconut cupcake, lemon cupcake. Like, yeah. all this shit with filling everywhere. It's, like, getting everywhere. <laughs> I'm like, hopefully people aren't looking at this, yeah. like, as I'm giving them their samples. And, yeah, they're just grabbing cupcakes. Like, some people are grabbing, like, five fucking cupcakes. Jesus. And we're trying to give them, like, samples, like, cut-up yeah. samples. Dude, that shit was gone in, like, I'm not even kidding you, like, ten minutes. Uh, my one coworker and I, who were, like, because she was, like, you know, opening the cupcake liners, like, putting the samples in. I'm, like, cutting. People are, like, I'm waiting for my samples. Like, just, like, yeah, it was fucking crazy, like... We were laughing hysterically, though, because yeah. it was just, like, so, like, I don't know, like, those, like, high, like, yeah. intensities, like, that go, That defense go, go. mechanism was yeah. like, this is hilarious. It was so funny. And then, like, once we ran out, everyone's like, oh, like, you know. And then I told you that one person who's like, you've disappointed four people or whatever, <laughs> like. <laughs> Sorry, dude. Yeah, so we ran out of samples again, and I think it was, like, <laughs> only, like, fucking 7.30, 8. <laughs> So oh the rest of the night, we just sat there fucking talking. We walked yeah. around. Like, they gave us okay. cups. Yeah, got drinks. Like, got yeah. kind of drunk or whatever, you know? Like, you do what you can. Yeah. My it was nice. Um, so, yeah, I went and got some. Oh my gosh, dude. It was so embarrassing, too. Like, I feel like whenever I ask people to do something special for me, you know, or like people are going out of their way for me, I feel like something goes wrong. And it just like ends up this embarrassing, like, situation kind of. Yeah, so, like, whoops didn't mean to put you yeah. through that so there was like this like weird greek restaurant or something and they were making this like tomato basil like pesto pasta shit with like tomatoes in it mm-hmm. it was like so fucking good but i didn't want the like pesto and like dairy and stuff in it so i was just like is there any way you could make something like without the dairy in it for me the guy in the back's like oh like who's making everything he's like i can make you just like the pasta with like a garlic sauce sauce and tomato and i was like okay like whatever yeah. you know so he starts to make it, and because they're in, like, that such this, like, small space, he smacks the fucking oh my uh, pan. It, like, flies oh up. <laughs> Everything, like, flies out everywhere. He's like, oh, my gosh, I'm sorry. And then, obviously, like, the line's getting bigger, and I'm, like, waiting, and I'm like, oh. And, like, she's like, how about you just go wait on the side? I'm like, okay. That sounds like a great idea. Yeah, and then he's, like, making that for me. Like, he gave it to me. It was super fucking good. Yep. Their little things, too, were so cute. They're, like, it looked like little leaves. Yeah and yeah anyways it was really good cute whatever we were walking around eating random shit and then we ended up getting out of there because the event ended at like 10 we had to break down the tent all that fucking shit so yeah we were out to like 11 at night and then on top of this all the girl who bakes or was doing the bake for the cakes she's like you know 19 20 whatever still learning doesn't have much experience so she's like trying to um the girl who used to bake like the gluten-free and vegan cakes left so then She's, like, trying to make a fucking gluten-free red velvet cake, which, why? But yeah. anyways, yeah. like, uh, it comes out fucking horrible. She messes up. And it's, like, a 14-inch cake, dude. No, so my then, God. 
uh, Michelle's like, fuck, I'm going to have to bake this cake when we get back to the shop, which takes like forever. Yeah. Like, I mean, hours because hour, it's yeah, like an hour two hours, pure yeah. of pa- at least bake time for a 14 inch cake. Yeah. And then like. I'm sorry, just to get nerdy, I would have said no to that gluten-free red velvet because yeah. red velvet's so weak. Yeah, and like gluten is the only thing holding that shit together. Yeah. So I'm kind of surprised that that's like what, they said no. That's or what said I said. Yes. I was like, dude, we shouldn't even do gluten-free red velvet. Or like, yeah, they took like an order for like a gluten-free red velvet vegan, and I was like, how are you gonna do that? But yeah, so like, good luck. Yeah. Anyways, like yeah, it was just kind of fucking crazy. But thankfully, the girl she just fucking got the gluten-free chocolate, put red food coloring in it, put it in the fucking oven. When we got there, it was a little overbaked because I think she went home, just left it in the oven oh, for shit. us. <laughs> yeah. But we didn't have to stay and bake it, so that was good. So okay, so just the chocolate. How much? Just. How much red food coloring did she have to use for that fucking chocolate? I think she said she put, like, almost half a cup in there. Oh, gross. Yeah. I'm shocked that it even... Did it even look red, or did it just it look like a looked, rich... Yeah, it still looked a little... It was, like, a brownish red. I will say, just to be a dick, again, throwing yeah. my nerd knowledge out, that was how the original red velvet cakes looked. Really? It was a chemical... Oh. It was a chemical reaction between whatever, like, chemical leavener and the acid in the cake with the chocolate... Um, it gave like a deep tint red. Oh, that's why people say like, oh, it's just a chocolate cake with that's red. But like modern red velvet is zero comparison to like what it was in the past. So yeah, she actually made a more authentic looking (laughs) red velvet cake, man. Yeah. Good for her. Yeah. It actually looked pretty nice. Nice. That is like, you know. Just fake. Yeah. When I eat red velvet, man, I taste chemicals. Yeah. When I bake it and i smell it i've always said it smells like charcoal to me yeah like, that like when it's like or like the gas and like that smell when you first start grilling that's yeah. what it smells like to me and i'm just like Bleh. but yeah i i think if people knew how much red food coloring went into red velvet they'd yeah. be horrified because like just like what you said it was that deep tint red because yeah. it's like when people say oh it's a chocolate cake with red it's like you literally can't add enough red food coloring to make it that bright yeah. Santa Claus red. Yeah. Like, that's not a chocolate cake, yeah. dude. I hate to break it to you. There's, like, a touch of cocoa powder in it, yeah. and that's it. So, and then, uh, sorry, I know we got to start because no, we good. both have, like, some fucking hella long stories yeah. but that are two-parters, and <laughs> we got fucked up and not even doing the same state. It doesn't yeah. matter. <laughs> so, um, this girl, I went to the farmer's market, and there's a cheese stand and i love this farmer's market it's an old colorado city bancroft park and it's from like eight to two yeah my favorite one i've really been wanting to go (coughs) dude you gotta go there's so much shit there i think you'd love it and there's like healthy shit they have like kombucha and like birdseed stand and then there was all this mexican candy dude you know what sucks is i not a joke i literally ordered a bunch of mexican candy offline like three days ago Uh, (laughs) and i was like ah it's all right yeah um Anyway, okay, moving on. But the cheese stand, I felt so bad. I, like, just walked up, and I was like, what are those two girls doing by the water cooler, like, behind the tent? Because there was, like, no one manning it. And I've been – the last time I went, there were, like, four people, like, two dudes. Actually, I think there was, like, the mom or whatever, like, I don't know, older woman was there, and then two younger girls that were all running the stand together. And then I only saw, like, these two teenage girls and, like – you can see she's rinsing her hand off and there's like blood coming off on the concrete. So yeah. like she obviously cut her fingers like deep, dude. Yikes. And you could tell she was like, had this glassy look on her Uh-oh. eyes with like this smile of like, <laughs> someone please kill me. 
Because, like, now she's fucked the cheese stand. Like, oh, there's God. two of them. Yeah. One of them has a busted finger that now she has to just stand there and hold. Probably needed stitches, yeah. I'm going to guess. And, like, the girl comes back, like, the one who hasn't cut her hands, and she's, like, looking at the knife suspiciously, like, <laughs> do I use this? And then, like, the cheese, like, do I throw this away? Yeah. Which she should have, but the old lady <laughs> that was, like, getting the cheese, she's like... I'll just take it. <laughs> so I was like, okay. Oh my god. Um, it, there was no blood on it. Yeah, I think it happened really fast. Yeah, she probably so pulled like, away really yeah. fast. Um, I'd have been fine with it. I'd have been yeah. like, fuck it, wrap it up. <laughs> but I, I hope I wasn't prodding. I wasn't trying to like make this girl feel pressure. But I was like, God, do you guys like have anybody else here to help you? And she was like. She was like, nope, it's just us. And I was like, I'm sorry. And then I like walked away because I was like, I don't want to hold yeah. you. Like, I don't want to be, I don't even want to take anything from you. I think you guys should shut your stand down for like 15 yeah. minutes. Just deal with this. Fuck it. But she was still trying to help customers. And I was like, I'm not. I thought you were about to say you ended up like working the cheese stand or something. <laughs> I think if I hadn't have had work, yeah. I would have been like, hey, man, what do you need me to do? <laughs> I don't know from cheese, but I yeah. can count money. <laughs> no, that would have been a much cooler story. <laughs> no, I, it was just me walking away because I was just too busy. You're like, a... yeah, I was even late to like 10 minutes to work. Do I you felt remember bad. when we went? Um, is that guy there who makes like the bread with potatoes in it still there? Potatoes. I don't even remember the name of that place. It was like a rosemary potato bread. And Are it was you like. sure that's not Neaters? Yes, I'm sure. It was at that bread stand it was like a bread stand and it comes in those like round loaves i i think i know who you're talking about because i actually i've got bread upstairs yeah. that i bought from him so if he does have i just wasn't looking because yeah. i was i the both times i went i was like in a major <sighs> yeah. hurry like give me these two and then running off so. what day is it it's only on saturdays from eight to two eight to two dang I what time do you work on saturdays eight fuck i'm gonna ask for like yeah. the morning off or or just ask dude i because if i can get from Old Colorado City, um, get there at eight, yeah. shop around, and I can still get down, well, with the exception of yesterday, I could still get down to Nevada where Costco is, like the north end of Nevada, and still make it to work by nine. Wow. And I just stick their shit in their freezer. Yeah. Or I'm sorry, in their um, the not, fridge. Uh, their fridge. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, Maybe I could ask for like I, two hours. Just yeah. Be like, can I come in at nine or ten? Yeah. Like even 930, I think. But you just like have to get there at eight. Because parking, I usually park in that public parking spot and have to walk a couple blocks to get there. Because it's, otherwise it's all street parking around. It's and It's like impossible. It's fucking cramped. If you're really lucky, you can get a spot. But yeah. nah, it's, I just have started parking at the public parking. Nice. Just to say fuck it. and yeah. Well, especially I ain't got no time to. Yeah, you know, to pay. And then you yeah. might have to end up parking there anyways. So. Exactly. Um. Well, shit, man, we should get started. All right, yeah. <laughs> I have, I, it's such a long story. We both right. have about, what, eight typed fucking pages. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I did Tennessee. Uh, you did Alabama. Sorry. No, it's and okay. And I remember last time recording you saying, yeah, I'm doing history of the KKK for Tennessee. <laughs> and then for some reason I thought, fucking Alabama. It's okay. Yeah. Dude, it's all, they all pretty much echo the same, uh, <laughs> course yeah down there so um well we had start we had said like maybe i would start because we thought i had the longer one yeah. but now we're we're both in the same boat yeah. <laughs> do you care no you can start yeah, okay all right i'm gonna just go for it so yeah i did the history of the kkk it does technically come out of tennessee 
I will say it is not what you're expecting, man. I, I was pretty floored with the history of it, the very beginnings of it. Um, yeah. Okay. Let's (laughs) take a ride. Um, so given that the KKK is an exorbitantly secretive and elusive group to the point where doing research was very difficult, I'm going to start right at the end of the civil war. So after the North successfully beat the South an estimated 4 million slaves were now freed people, but with no real plan from the federal government, uh, president Andrew Johnson, who took over the presidency after Lincoln was assassinated, told the South to simply pay their war debts and rewrite their state constitutions to include the freedom of black people. Uh, This left a lot of room for interpretation, resulting in things like black codes, which was just slavery reimagined with a hellish twist. Um, There was a half-assed attempt at helping the millions of former slaves, as well as poor whites, after the destruction of the South. The Freedoms Bureau was formed to help provide food, housing, and medical aid to those that needed it. Uh, Though the branch existed, the resources of the government was stretched pretty thin and not much resulted from its formation. So most of the South was suffering from the war, um, many of them losing their livelihoods, not to mention loved ones. Around 600 to 700,000 people died during the Civil War, and there were 1.5 million casualties. Um, So literally 2% of the U.S. population died, um, which is... Have you ever seen The Leftovers? Uh -uh. (gasps) Uh-uh. Okay. It is an HBO show. Oh. Um, It only has three seasons, but it's about how in the blink of an eye, literally 2% of the world's U.S. or the world's population just, like, disappears. Oh, I think I remember you telling yeah. me about this a long time ago. It's a crazy fucking show. Like, the first season was pretty slow and, like, based on a book, I guess. And then the second and third season, they just, like, went nuts. Do the people, like, reappear or something like that? You kind or? of find out where they go. Oh, okay. Um, but, yeah, it's okay. It's a super fun show. All okay. Right. Well, it's not really fun. It's really dark and sad. Anyway. Oh, <laughs> Uh, During this time, there was a partisan divide between Democrats and Republicans. So, like, people think it's pretty tense now, and I think it is, but it's like back then, they literally were killing each other. Like, physically, 2% of the U.S. population died (laughs) because one side needed to be right. Um, So, let's see. Oh, so the Democratic South after, because like basically in the North is all Republicans mm-hmm. for the most part. Lincoln was Republican, whatever. Um, again, I, the titles are irrelevant, but they were making such a huge deal of it back then, kind of like we do now, um, yeah. even though it's both the same, the left wing and the right wing are attached to the same bird. Yeah. Um, so the South was like super burned with uh, Republicans. So they like, they even saw, even if you were white, like if you were a Republican, you were a piece of shit and they like wanted to fuck you up. Yeah. So the Dems saw red, they began like plotting and shit um, because what really torqued them off was that black people starting winning some of like political seats because they haven't quite gotten black codes in yet because the North has been representing the South now because they, they won the war. They're in those seats. Um, people just feel really defeated so like there are actual black people that are making it like into congress and senate and shit it's like it's crazy um so they're like really extra super duper burned by that like what the fuck um so here are two terms back in the day that they used uh carpetbagger meant an unscrupulous northerners who ventured south to reap the soils of office and then scalawags were southern whites that supported the new regimes of freed slaves uh so now we will get into the history of the KKK. I'm so sorry. Just had to do a quick know, little yeah. backstory and all of that. And then, oh, sorry. There is a book that some woman wrote back in like the, I don't know when, that claimed that she wrote the history of the KKK and everything. 
and she is batshit fucking crazy. I looked her up. She like sued the author of Gone with the Wind for giving the South like a bad name or something like what? that. Like she was crazy. So I tried to look up her book because at first I started taking notes on her book. And then I was like, well, who is this person? And I looked her up and all of the like all the articles were like, she was a lying piece of shit. So yeah, I was like, oh, like, uh... OK, never mind. <laughs> um, sometime around May of 1866. A bunch of rich white bros got together in Pulaski, Tennessee to start a social club. Uh, That's right. They just wanted to hang out and talk about how much better they were than black people. And that's pretty much it. They weren't even particularly violent because they were rich and didn't want to lose what they had. So, like, when I say that the South was war-torn, I mean, it was, like, fucking war-torn. Yeah. It was just, like, ripped to shreds. So, that night, they talked about how cool the Greek word kuklos was, which means band or circle. Um, and clan may have been added just to represent, like, Scottish and Irish ancestry. So, hence, Ku Klux Klan. Uh, the ex-Confederates who gathered that night were Frank O. McCord, Richard Reed, John C. Lester, Calvin Jones, John Brooker Kennedy and James Crow, all of them between, uh, they're somewhere in like their mid twenties to mid thirties. Um, they thought that, oops, sorry. Though they didn't physically do much on acting on anything, they did talk about restoring the South to its former glory, shit like that. So like, that's kind of, it was more just rhetoric. They were not in any way like going to act at all. Like I said, they like wanted to hold on to what little they had because like shit was so bad. Um, in fact, when they partied together as the KKK, it was more of a minstrel performance, so the first gatherings of the KKK were nothing more than a bunch, like a bunch of fancy fellows flouncing about, singing songs and shit. So I don't know why that makes me so happy, but it so does. Hilarious. So, uh, in fact, the first year of the KKK's existence, there's no violence associated with it at all. The group mainly saw themselves as civil men working on civil affairs. Um, at the very least, former Confederates saw the group rebuilding Southern culture. So the KKK was actually created out of bored, restless, uh, restlessness after the war, but eventually amplified into uh, every insecurity racing through a Southerner's mind with an uncertain future. Uh, so, like, the whole thing with the white robes and white hats, like, nope. They absolutely were not wearing that for, yeah. like, kind of a, a while. Like, I'm talking, like, at least over 50 years. Um in 1867, a description of their outfits did confirm very tall hats, but they were jazzed up with decorations, so maybe they'd wear some cloaks and tunics. The first article written about them was in March of 1869 in Pulaski, in the Pulaski Citizen, in which members were called to organize in costume. The article stated that each member was required to provide himself with the following outfit, a white mask for the face with orifices for the eyes and nose, a tall, fantastic cardboard hat so constructed as to increase the wearer's apparent height, uh, a gown or robe of sufficient to cover the entire person. And this was to draw curiosity to the group with, which did work. Uh, when there were description of what, of, Oh my gosh. When there were descriptions of what they wore, uh, they would be described as no two dressing alike, each wearing their own adorable little costume. Yeah, that's what so. I was about to say. I was like, so they all just look different? Like, every single they one. Whatever threw together? <laughs> yes, every single one. And, oh shit, I don't know if I like, dang it, I don't think I put it in here, but like, polka dots and weird beards and like ho- twisted horns they have photos of it they they have some drawings and dude oh. you need to look it up yeah, it I is it. <laughs> straight up low budget al-qaeda <laughs> performing circus acts like it's ridiculous looking um and they describe like polka dots and like fanciful things almost some of them like straight up dressing in drag yeah damn near so like i don't know i just i just think it's funny that you have the south right now freaking the fuck out about like trans shit and like 
listen, motherfuckers, a hundred years ago. Yeah, I know. You were dressing up in drag. <laughs> so uh, anyway, never mind what they wore because it's more about like what they did. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the clan was in the process of becoming something like much bigger. And I didn't mention, though, that the one of the original members of the Ku Klux was part owner of the local paper, the Pulaski Citizen, which is like where that first article pops up about them. Um, it wasn't really much for news. It was more of a tabloid type. I think of like the UK. What is it like the Daily Mirror or something like that? Or, um, I think so, yeah. Yeah, something like that. Or maybe even like a TMZ type, yeah. but not as good. Uh, so yeah, it... Oh, but it would stir up a lot of like anti-black sentiment as well as creating a mystique for the Klan. Uh, the Freedmen's Bureau, that one that was supposed to be helping people out that like wasn't really doing much, felt like lower class whites were a majority of the problem in Pulaski. The lead freedman of the area, Captain George E. Judd, called the poor whites of the area men who amount to nothing, have no property and no principle. Uh, they felt that the town had been taken over by horse thieves, housebreakers, loafers, and whiskey heads. Strong words. Uh, not clan related, but violence was happening in the South, mostly towards black citizens trying to make a go of it. Um, in 1866, there was the Memphis, Tennessee riots, um, in which, as far as anyone can tell, was an altercation between former black soldiers and, a white, pol and white police officers. Violence took over in the area. The fighting lasted three days. Um, let's see. There was a New Orleans massacre in July of that year, which uh, a peaceful protest basically turned into racial violence. Like in New Orleans, in just two hours, 34 black people were killed and wow. 119 were wounded. Nothing technically tied to the KKK, but it's like you just kind of see this violence rising anyway. So I think even though like that's not what the KKK started as, if it wasn't the KKK, it would have been something yeah. like it just it, everyone was having a complete and total meltdown in the South. Um, so with all this terrible violence, the federal government did nothing to step in. Part of what it was, they didn't have the men or the money. So it's after the Civil War. Resources are, are really thin. They're pulling men out of the South. Um, and then the other problem was they probably just didn't really care that much because whatever. Like, we won the war. We're fucking over it. Uh, but in the absence of order, extreme viewpoints were turning into extreme aggression to the point where political leaders in the South were openly calling for people to resist black claims to political, social, and economic rights. Um, so think about all that violence and rhetoric going on in newspapers, in bars, in homes, on the streets. It's literally everywhere. Everyone's angry. And I'm not joking when I say I literally think Southern men were having an identity crisis. Like... Because the South is really known for having two things. They're known for having slaves and the iconic Southern gentleman being able to provide for his family. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like the antebellum period before yeah. the Civil War. It's all it's all very showy. And now they've got like nothing. It's war torn. It's it's in shatters. Does that make <laughs> sense? It's in shatters. In tatters. In tatters. It's it, it is shattered. <laughs> You know what it's I mean. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> Moving on. So, okay. The years of 1867 and uh, 1868 were two very important years of growth for these nutters to spread their nutty message. The group's name was being hijacked unbeknownst to them with the local paper spreading uh, their weird and cryptic messages about the organizations. Slowly word began to spread about this mystery group in the South that was like rebuilding the South. So it's like, oh, cool. We get to be violent now because it's rebuilding the South. Mm -hmm. And I kind of think of it as Antifa. You know how like it's it's not organized there's no headquarters there's no people in charge yeah. like i can walk outside and say i'm antifa yeah. and then like i'm antifa so it's kind of how it was with yeah. the kkk you started having all these chapters just like 
pop up. People were like, cool, I'm KKK now. Um, so they could only act out violently in the name of KKK, but it took years for them to gain recognition. And uh, there is a lot of discussion today about whether or not half the violence was even done by them or just assumed to have been done by them because newspapers wanted to make a good story and sensationalize the violence. So it's just, it's all shrouded in so much fucking mystery. Yeah. Um, on January 7th, 1868 in Pulaski, there was a dispute between a black man and a white man. The white bros uh, threatened to whip a black woman and it resulted in an armed standoff. One black man died on the scene. Um, so who also happened to be a black leader of the town upon investigation um, in Oh, by a city official, he concluded that the, att the attack on the group of black people was organized enough to lead him to believe that it could have been performed by those of a military background. Um, officials blame the KKK, but again, there's like little proof mm -hmm. to prove that it was uh, them, actually yeah. them. Um, but whether it was done in the name of the KKK or not is irrelevant because the violence was real. White people were still acting out to annoy and intimidate anyone that didn't fit their image of Anglo-American. Homes, churches, and schools were burned to the ground. People were dragged out of their homes and threatened, beaten on the streets, tied up and whipped. Like, I mean, it was a fucking bad situation. Yeah. Um, it was difficult to know where the pain would stop, and there seemed to really be no end in sight. So remember, for everyone living at that time, one could have legally on so like i'm talking about like pre-civil war at any time you could take your transgressions out on a slave literally at any given time any point during the day you could just beat the shit out of someone yeah. just because you felt like it so like that's a lot of fucked up thinking going on you know so instead of possibly getting a hold of their childish hostilities they threw a gigantic cruel and savage temper tantrum and radicalized themselves so yeah, it's sort of like, I feel like it's just like a control freak losing their mind when, yeah. like, they've lost grip of the reins. Yeah. Um, let me see. Taken from the book. Oh, sorry. So the book that I was reading, I'm going to, it's called Ku Klux, like, shoot, The Birth of the Klan During Reconstruction. I think that's what it's called. But this is from her book. Uh, Ku Klux performance was in part an expression of white Southern men's sense of disempowerment and failure as a patriarch's after the war, many Southern white men had grounded their manhood on their right to inflict unmanning violence upon slaves. And I really believe that. I think that's why they were really freaking out. Um, from 1868 to 1871, the Klan was a national movement. The men that could terrorize people in their homes were always dressed in full mask and costume, telling their victims they were ghosts of Confederate soldiers. What? Dude, I'm it's going to get dumber. <laughs> Which may explain why they went all white. Like, in, in between, like, oh, we are pure white people and we're ghosts, like, <laughs> Confederate ghosts. Like, maybe that's why they chose white. We don't so know. Hilarious. Yeah. Also, strangely, the KKK groups out of Alabama, Georgia, and Mississippi would claim to be from the moon. Their outfits were so outrageous, they would, they would often be mistaken as traveling entertainers and circus performers, which they may have done on purpose as a reflection of popular culture, because those two things were huge at the time. So these nut jobs would put on, and this is like so fucked up, dude, like they would put on performances while they were like torturing people. Yeah. Like it was an SNL comedy, SNL comedy bit, yeah. but like making them participate either Ew. really gross stuff or just like bark like a dog you know yeah, quack like, like a duck you know just like weird yeah, shit and people would watch this or no, no 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 i'm sorry this is like when they would break into people's homes and they would oh, like so start torturing like a family yeah they're themselves? doing it for their own yeah oh for their own yeah. weird entertainment like like talking to each other like they're in a play and then like oh, doing so shit fuck. to people yeah. so fucked up 
So they definitely had a gang type mentality. Um, it would be a way of showing solidarity with one's white brothers. Um, it was showing a unity of whiteness. It wasn't just about defining whiteness. It was about defining a black person's place in society as well, especially mm -hmm. those that were doing well for themselves, despite all the bullshit they were being handled. Um, so during these torture sessions, the terrorists would make victims. Oh, yeah, that's what I was saying. Like act out scenes and shit. Um, all white, And they'd be screaming like that they were sent from hell and shit or the moon and they're I don't know. But I mean, it must have been fucking horrifying. Yeah. Uh, so and I think what they said, too, they were like, because white people had such a like weird view of black people. Like, do you remember the a few several weeks ago? I don't remember when I was talking about like. Oh, if you were to ask a black person before the civil, or I'm sorry, if you were to ask a white person before the civil war, how they felt about black people, yeah. they would have said like very docile, obedient. Yeah. And then, and then once like changed, yeah. instantly changed to, oh, they're violent criminals and they're, you know, they're just more prone to violence and shit. And, and meanwhile, not black people were not burning white people's homes and raping them and, you know, yeah. killing their families. The opposite was happening. <laughs> Um, but they had such like an exaggerated view of what they thought black people were that they thought, oh, if we tell them we're Confederate ghosts, they'll believe it because they're just so stupid, you know? And same with like, oh, we're from the moon. Like they'll believe we're from the moon because they're just so dumb. And like, no, they were like, oh my God, these men are fucking killing yeah. us. Like no one, they never were disillusioned. Like fucking idiots. Yeah. Like, God, I, like I have to be killed by this moron. Yeah. Um, so Yeah. Um, so it's hard to know exactly when the group became like a real organization. I had a really hard time finding like dates. Yeah. This is when it became organized again. Like they really weren't writing anything down because no one ever wanted to leave a paper trail. Um, so I do know that the former, former Confederate general, Nathan Bedford Forrest is officially on the record as being the KKK's first grand wizard. Um, I'm sad to report why they had, I, I could not find why they had the stupid titles that Wizards they have and all that shit. Oh. I, ugh, I wanted to know. I was yeah. like, please. And like, I just could not find They're anything on it. Wizards from the moon. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a moon wizard. <laughs> uh, I flew down on my dragon. <laughs> um, but yeah, so in the push of the South, not wanting the North there, violence grew during the presidential election between um, Ulysses S. Grant and Southerner Horatio Seymour. Southern Democrats began brutalizing Republican voters during this time, literally hundreds. And like, it's hard to say, again, because like people are not keeping record. They're just acting out these crazy things. Maybe people just go missing. You never hear from them again. Um but they know for sure hundreds, but maybe even thousands of mostly black Republicans were murdered in cold blood to deter black people from voting. Um, even newspapers were blaming the people who were voting for the violence, like as if to say, this is what happens when you don't align with our bigotry. Um, so the U.S. government actually did try to intervene. Ulysses S. Grant was president between 1869 and 1877. The 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments ended slavery, extended U.S. citizenship to black people with equal protection under the law, and established voting rights for black men. Um, Grant was aware of the violence, but with the removal of most of the military in the South, it was really difficult to maintain control. So to the Speaker of the House, he wrote, 
There is a deplorable state of affairs existing in some portions of the South, demanding the immediate attention of Congress. If the attention of Con- oh, whoops. If the attention of Congress can be confined to the single subject of providing means for the protection and life and property in those sections of the country where the present civil authority falls to secure that end, I feel as if we should have such legislation. So just saying, like, we need to act. We need to stop talking. So Congress... Sorry. Congress responded with three force acts aimed at stopping the violence. The first was the Enforcement Act of 1870 that prohibited banning together in disguise. The second force act passed in 1871 that put federal elections under federal supervision by federal judges and U.S. Marshals. The third force act in 1871 empowered Grant to suspend habeas corpus and use military to enforce these acts. Uh, They were later known as the Ku Klux Klan Acts. On May 3rd, 1871, he issued a a proclamation warning that terrorist acts of violence would not be tolerated. Grant was true to his word and enforced those laws. So he went to South Carolina first, where it was like, I guess, a majority of the KKK violence was like the worst. Um, He declared martial law in nine counties and sent the cavalry. Many Klan members were arrested, but little resulted Mm -hmm. from it. Many people felt like it was an overreach. So the members were given light sentencing. It honestly didn't do very much because I've heard this argument before that like, oh, Grant did such a great job, like, curbing the KKK. Like, he really put it out there. He almost got rid of the KKK, but they had a resurgence. And in reality, he almost did nothing. Like, it's not that he didn't try. I think he did. But it didn't do shit. It didn't matter. Um, So because the main reason is the South is starting to win votes Mm -hmm. for people that have that thinking. They are supporting the lost cause theory that – it was about states' rights, and it was never about slavery. And um, yeah. so you have a lot of white supremacists that make it into office, and now they can start passing laws that restrict, you know, people mm-hmm. black or people of color. Um, so because of this, KKK pretty much disappears. Like, it, it goes away because they don't need it anymore. They're not trying to suppress it. Like, they have now officially marginalized black people through a lot of Jim Crow laws. Yeah. So... Like I said, that means voter suppression through literacy tests and poll taxes, housing suppression, being unable to access certain public spaces based on skin color, having access to the same resources, the right counterparts, like the list really goes on and on. Um, And in 1882, the U.S. Supreme Court declared the KKK Act unconstitutional because they considered it government overreach. Uh, There was a case called the United States versus Harris where four white men were jailed for having KKK affiliation out of Crockett County in Tennessee. They were beaten and one man died from his injuries. So the court ruled that an act to enforce the Constitutional Equal Protection Clause applied only to state action and not to state inaction. So basically, the federal government can only take remedial action um, when a state violates the 14th Amendment and not violating an individual, if that makes sense. Mm. Like, the whole state has to be, like, they have to go after the state, not individuals in that state. Oh, okay. um, so, surprisingly, and I'm almost done, actually. I'm, oh, I'm getting onto the last page. <laughs> so, this is about where I'm going to stop pretty soon, but kind of like the resurgence of the KKK. Mm-hmm. Surprisingly, the temperance movie movie fuck laura i'm not even that high (laughs) surprisingly the temperance movement gave the kkk steam again the movement was led by a bunch of religious nutters which meant the kkk fit right in so for the clan their biggest threat was a surge of immigrants 
that were of Eastern European descent, and they were also Catholics that were infiltrating our pure, righteous Christian country and plaguing it with their Europeanness. So the 18th Amendment passed banning the sale of consumption of alcohol. Of course, a disproportionately amount of black, poor, immigrants, and working class people were arrested for it. Um, but the KKK felt that wasn't enough. The Klan sold itself as law enforcement and to do what cops were unable to do. So Prohibition allowed the Klan to provide a new type of group to terrorize, spreading their usual hateful, ignorant messages of anti-Catholic, anti-immigration, white Protestant nationalist mission. Um, the Klan gleefully raided Catholic immigrants' homes, burned down their businesses, and would even try to frame them by planting alcohol at the scenes. Um, but it was really refueled with D.W. Griffith's Birth of a Nation, yeah. which famously romanticized a bunch of honkies and pointy white hats, killing an evil black man that was actually just a goofy-looking white dude in blackface. Um, the movie was based on a book called The Klansman by Thomas Dixon Jr. As a boy, little Tommy Dixon Jr. was actually a friend of classmate Woodrow Wilson. Uh, that's right, the guy that resegregated Washington, D.C. and screened the movie at the White House and described it as a movie that was history being told by lightning. Yeah, that's so, where the burning of the cross comes from. That's right. Too. Yeah, yeah. there was no burning of the cross before that movie. Yeah. He just thought visually it looked beautiful. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it's amazing how quickly just yeah. weird little rituals start for no fucking reason other than just because. So the film depicted Reconstruction as the absolute worst kind of evil to penetrate the South where white people had to share equal rights with black people. Say it ain't so. So since black people in the South had already been marginalized, Eastern and Southern Europeans were ripe for the picking. The Klan called themselves the Prohibition Enforcement. And with Woodrow Wilson, this isn't written, but I feel like I might as well say it. With Woodrow Wilson, he did pass the 19th Amendment, which was giving the right of women to vote. So this is what's crazy. The KKK really kind of pushed that old school uh, women need to be submissive, mm -hmm. you know, like women follow men, men follow God, you know, mm -hmm. that weird. Yeah. <laughs> <You're>, <laughs> I heard your eye roll over my <laughs> But um, so and they, they still have that old timey thinking of like, why would a woman need to vote? She has the vote of her husband. But with Woodrow Wilson passing the vote, the South now really realized, like, oh, my God, like, okay, I'm just going to tell my wife who to vote for oh God, so that yeah. my guy gets passed. So now you have this, these extra numbers to help make sure that your guy gets gets uh, in office. Yeah. Um, and that's with women being able to vote. And in the South, they would happily vote for whoever their husband told yeah. because, well, we are submissive to our husbands yeah. and they know what's best for us. So, fuck. Uh, okay. How long have we... I think, I don't know, is it tomorrow yet? Uh, <laughs> hold on. Woo, 46 minutes. Hey, yeah, okay. we're, we're doing okay. Yeah, okay. I've talked very quickly. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know. But let me do my sources super fast. Right. There's a plenty of them. So, like I said, uh, Ku Klux, The Birth of a Clan. Oof, The Birth of the Clan during Reconstruction by Elaine Franz Parsons. A uh, New Republic article by Allison Kinney. I got some info off history.com. Politico article by Andre Glass. I think I wrote his name wrong. Uh, American Experience article from PBS. NPS.gov article. TeachingAmericanHistory.com. An article by T.W. Gilbreth. Paper out of Harvard from authors Roland G. Fryer Jr. and Stephen D. Levitt. Marshall University paper from Kelly R. Kerbawi. Um... Damn, and I hate to do this to you. I think 
I meant to read like someone's personal accounting of like their KKK experience and just like how horrible that was. Would you be annoyed if I read it real no. fast? Let me try to find it. Oh no. Here we go. <laughs> okay. So here's just one example of what they were doing. And this is again, like the, the 1870s or something like that. Um, and this is straight from the book. Uh, their terror and pain they felt and the danger and damage of their bodies and the terror and the pain signaled what it was that mattered about the clan attack. Every action by the clan involved particular um, men using physical force to break down specific bodies that housed memories, sensations, words, and wills that enabled them to feed and house themselves and their uh, dependents. Uh, Coswell Holt, a freedman in Alamance County, described the physical nature of his attack. A group of men pulled him from his bed by the neck, choking him, then nearly put out his eye. They carried him outside and partially hung him repeatedly, bucked him, that is, tied his hands together uh, over his folded legs, and ran a stick behind his knees. Um, then formed a line and whipped him with socks and switches before partially hanging him again and rubbing a stick up and down the raw, his raw back while he choked. They then demanded that he run back into his house, which he could hardly do. His back was uh, cut all to pieces and his wife found a splinter as long as his finger buried deep in his hip. Oh um, so, yeah, I mean, that's just like one example. Uh, let me see. One guy told of being painfully jerked from his hiding place in his chimney, pulled around by his hair, shot with a shotgun as he ran away. Uh, he lost most use of his left arm. I mean, it's like you could go on and on yeah. with these stories and a lot of like whippings and shit. Like just that reminder of like, be, like you're never going to stop yeah. being tortured by us. Because, again, they could at any point in their life – you know, these men, these white men of the, of the South, they could literally just beat on anybody they wanted, yeah. any black guy they wanted at any time, and no one would question, and it would be fine. That's crazy. So, yeah, I just figured I would read that because I, I meant to read that. I wanted to really, like, put in a very personal story of, like, yeah. just how horrible it was um, to show, like, what people were doing. And for, for politicians of the time, too, that when, when like, white Southern Democrats started to get into power um, – would play it off like it was nothing. Oh, these are just stories written by the newspaper. We've got nothing to worry about. They're a benevolent society. Um, oh, and that's the other thing, too. Like, them being a benevol benevolent society meant for a long time they went tax-free as an organization. Yeah. So, yeah. anyways. All right. I better fucking stop right. or I'll no, keep you're going. Good. You're good. <laughs> all right. Here we go. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> moving from Tennessee to Alabama, mm -hmm. um, I did the Alabama – Alabama bunker hostage crisis, which happened in 2013. Oh, shit. So, yeah. Nice. It's pretty, I guess, like, not that recent. It feels like it no, was, like, pretty uh, recent. That was nine years ago. It was very recent, yeah. Laura. <laughs> okay. So, um, anyways, on January 29th, 2013, around 3.30, Jimmy Lee Dykes, a 65-year-old Vietnam War-era veteran, boarded a public school bus um, which was numbered 04-2 as it turned around on his property, which was on the edge of a peanut field in town. Um, I forgot to actually even write down what town this was, but it was in southeastern Alabama, and it was a pretty small town. It had like 2,400 people. So, um, Do you want me to look it up real quick? Yeah, sure, if you okay. want to. What was it called again? The something bunker or something? Alabama bunker hostage crisis. Okay. Yeah. Continue. I can do this. Okay, so... Um, the day before, he had actually boarded the bus, and he had apparently cleared a cluster of laurel oaks, 
And he had approached the bus door as the bus driver was backing out um, because I think he would drop off some kids at the top of this hill. And then he kind of had to back out and there was really no room. It was like, you know, kind of like rural area, small town. So um, this dude and kind of plans and like preparation for everything he was going to do cleared all these trees out. So the bus driver's backing um, into the clearing and he walks up to him and the bus driver's name was Charles Poland. So he asks him, like, hey, uh, like, do you like broccoli or some weird shit like that? Like, hmm. broccoli and carrots or something like that? And the bus driver was like, yeah. Told him he likes broccoli. And then he, like, thanked him for clearing out the trees. And Jem was like, yeah, I thought you'd appreciate me doing that. And he's like, well, I'll catch you tomorrow or some weird shit like that. Like, it sounded hmm. like a really weird conversation. Yeah. I was like, okay. So anyways, the next day, um, he boarded the school bus holding a Walmart bag, like overfilling or overflowing with broccoli. What the fuck? Yeah. And he climbs up the steps, like acting like he's taking him this bag of broccoli and he pulls out a Ruger pistol and begins yelling at the driver. And you can actually like see footage of this since it was in 2013. It's like on the cameras or whatever surveillance. Mm-hmm. Grainy black and white yeah. footage from 2013. Yeah, it's pretty <laughs> shitty. But yeah, um, and you can kind of hear it's kind of like grainy too, the audio. But oh. he's just like yelling and he's like, do it, do it. I need two kids, two boys. I need two boys, six and eight. And he just keeps like demanding like these little boys and the bus driver's like, no, like I can't do that. This is my responsibility. And he's just like, continuing like i don't want to hurt you but like i'm gonna have to shoot you if you don't give me the boys and he's like well you're gonna have to fucking shoot me because i'm not giving you these kids and so um i guess at the same time he's like he hands him this note or something like that and i found like little snippets of the note but um it basically said like i have a story to tell i need two kids to force the powers that be to listen the note asked for well-behaved boys with no mental or physical problems. For um, It asked the bus driver to cuff them with black zip ties and said, like, no harm will come to the kids. When the story is finished, they will go free and then I will die. Please don't make me do something I don't want to do or something like Whoa. that. Yeah. So when I was reading articles, like, describing this guy, um, he was basically just, like, you know, typical, like, bitter, old war veteran like um he'd been fired from his last job after a dispute with his boss uh he had two daughters who claimed this is such like a weird thing that they i guess remember but they claimed he smelled of spearmint coffee and cigarettes and that they beat uh his mother and i guess when they got divorced the oldest was like three or something like that Uh so i don't know anyways uh That's kind of like what they, yeah, kind of what they remembered. Um, So anyways, uh, he was the type of person who would talk about putting out bowls of antifreeze to poison his neighbor's dogs that peed on his property. Wow. Uh, He walked around shooting bugs with a pellet gun, I guess. I don't know. He was just like one of those people, you know, kind of like nuts, kind of like on this property. It was like his trailer, his van. um, I think it was like a, they said it was like a relief trailer or something like that. Like, so I think it's like one of those things where it's like, um, it was like put there for like someone in need, something like that. Like he ended up moving into it after like he got fired from that job. So he kind of just had this land, was kind of building weird shit around on it, you know, doing whatever he wanted. Um, so I guess, sorry. Oh, it's okay. 
I did that plenty okay. often with you. Oh, I, it's Midland City, I think. Midland City? Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, so um, he had previously told his neighbor, I guess, like his neighbor had asked for a ride to Walmart. He took him, and on this day that he's like driving um, his neighbor to Walmart in 2012, like a, about a year before this happens, um, a new gun law had been enacted, and so... He was just, like, pissed off, you know, just, like, ranting to his neighbor, like, you know, someday I'm going to take people hostage in a church and uh, make a reporter broadcast his views, like, against the law and just, Whoa. yeah, I guess, like, the neighbor, when he's, like, telling him this was just, like, shut down completely, you know, because he doesn't agree mm-hmm. with this and he's, like, this guy is fucking nuts. So then they just, like, ride back to his house, like, in complete silence and the neighbor just, like, was, like, yeah, it's really uncomfortable, it's really weird, whatever. Yeah. Um. So... The same neighbor would actually end up helping him build an underground bunker that Dykes told him was a storm shelter. And so they spent, like, days, like, building, like, like digging through, like, red clay, I guess. Like, the oh. dude who helped him build this said they spent, like, hours, like, from, like, dusk to dawn building this fucking shelter. So um, he then had his neighbor, once they finished building it, go into the bunker where he told him to scream as loud as he could to hear... Um, if he could like hear the screams coming through the ground and when he learned that he couldn't hear the screams the neighbor said he was very pleased and that he was really worried like what the fuck yeah Yeah, dude so um anyways back to kind of like what was happening on the bus so the bus driver charles poland's like refusing and continues to tell him that basically like he's not gonna give these kids up like you're just gonna have to fucking shoot me um, so as this is happening, a 16 year old kid on the bus named Trey Watts calls 911 less than a minute after he had boarded the bus. And this kid was actually like very calm. It almost reminded me of like my little brother, how he's just kind of like, yeah, like, you know, like whatever, like <laughs> teenage boy, like yeah. it's like this dude's on his bus, like with a gun and he's just like, yeah, some guys here trying to take some kids or whatever. <laughs> like, and I guess the dispatcher, Britton Norris was kind of like freaking out and like she keeps like repeating herself too because i think the kid is just being so calm it's kind of weird she's like what's happening so um yeah she's like where's your emergency and the kid's like um i don't know we're on the bus someone's trying to take our kids she's like someone's on the bus trying to take your kid and then he's like yes ma'am so then trey when later asked about the situation said he remembered sitting on the school bus um, he was like, he would usually sit third seat from the back. So he's pretty far back and they were dropping off the kids when he said he felt a big lurch. He looked up, noticed a man pointing a gun at Mr. Poland's head. Um, the majority of the kids on the bus, like, and you can see them on the video are running to the back as like the situation's oh. unfolding. Like it would be like a few minutes and then like some run back and yeah, it's just kind of like sad because they're like all kind of little, you know, oh. and just, yeah. So, um, eventually Jim Dykes tells Charles Poland, I'm going to have to shoot you now. Come on. I don't have time. The goddamn law's coming. Don't, don't. Cause you just like kind of hear what's yeah. happening. She can't really see him. I don't think. And so at that point, Charles was trying to pull off and then Jim like ends up shooting him and you hear like a couple of oh, shots. Shit. And what's really sad is, so when he had come up to him that day before and asked him about the broccoli and all that weird shit and thanked him for clearing off the land, uh, Charles had told his wife that he just felt like Dykes needed a friend. So he had gone to his house that morning and left a dozen eggs and a jar of homemade grape jelly in the front seat of his van with a note that read like, sorry, I missed you. See you later. Oh my God. Yeah. So sad. So uh, yeah, and so then he 
I guess they found that note actually that he had left with the jar and all of that in um, Jim Dyke's wallet with other scraps of paper like the numbers to the White House, the Senate, and like a receipt for a handgun that had oh been seized God. by police 13 years earlier. Yeah, and he was like, he had had some trouble with the law and drugs and alcohol. Sure. So he was just like a troubled, you know, person. Um, so the 16-year-old boy, Trey, was still on the phone with a 911 operator as this is happening. She hears the shots and, like, all the kids are screaming oh, and crying. No. And, it, yeah, it gave me, like, chills to listen to. It was, like, really sad. They're all just, like, screaming. Um, There's even little girls who apparently, like, ran up to, like, the bus driver and was, like, trying to shake him awake. Oh and God. they started screaming because he wasn't responding. And then they're all, like, getting off their bus and running to, like, a church that was nearby. And, um... The 911 um, operator, again, like, asks about the bus driver, and then the kid's like, he's dead, the bus driver's dead. So at this point, Jim Dykes um, sets out to get what he originally got on the bus for and grabs a five-year-old boy named Ethan, and it turns out that this boy was actually, like, autistic. He was, like, easily distracted. He had a lot of problems, so he sat at the front of the bus right behind the bus driver just because he had problems. So that's who he grabbed, and in the video, you can hear him, like, yelling to the boy, like, come on, come on, like... Right before he had shot him, and Poland was like, leave him alone, you know, he's obviously scared. So anyways, he gets the boy, and then, like, immediately after he calls 911, he says that he has a hostage and that he's in an underground bunker. Um, He gives them directions saying that when the cops get there, they stop at the front gate and talk to a white post. And it was actually, like, a white PVC pipe, and I don't know, like, kind of to just give you an image, it's like, you know, at the playground, those little, like, metal poles that would yeah. stick up like oh mm-hmm. you're talking this in and it kind of like goes through like kind of like the yeah. string and cup situation yeah yeah so um he tells him to talk into this pvc pipe and he said from then on out that was the only way he would communicate with police oh, so the bunker he was staying went in was a six by 12 feet bunker like straight down so someone could like stand inside of it like a grown man And it had homemade bombs inside and was equipped with ventilation pipes. And it was behind his trailer, his van, and a shipping container about 170 feet away from, like, his house and all of his stuff. Um, The entrance on top was covered by a heavy wooden hatch that was accessible by a six-step cinder block staircase. Sorry. Okay. So he warned cops when they arrived that if he tried to, or if they tried to take the bunker by force, that they would hear a loud boom. Obviously referring to the bombs he had with him. So um, over the course of the next few hours, he asked about the bus driver, whether he was alive. They tell him, like, no, he's dead. He's like, you know, I really didn't want to do that. It's acting, like, all sad about it. Um, Then the police kind of, like, interview that neighbor who helped him build the bunker. And he kind of helps them build, like, a blueprint. Yeah, kind of, like, what it looks like. So they're kind of having, having an idea of what it looks like inside. Um... And then I guess around 9 p.m. that night, after they'd been talking to him for hours, he's like, I'm done talking. So after they stopped talking to him, they're like, well, maybe we can try and slip like a microphone or a camera or something down this pipe. So Agent Mike Harris begins like examining this um, PVC pipe and he realizes like, okay, this looks kind of weird. I think something's inside of it. So a bomb disposal expert is brought over and they bring an x-ray machine and they see that the pipe contained a bomb made out of gunpowder and shotgun pellets and that there was a trigger cord and the cord ran through the pipe um, to the bunker 
and they oh suspected God. that he had done this to like try and kill some of the FBI workers. Like he knew that they would try to do oh, this. Shit. So he was kind of depending on them trying to like put a microphone or something down that pipe so oh, that it fuck. would like blow up and kill them. So, um, I guess they're like looking around the property and they start seeing more of these like pipes sticking out of the ground. Oh, and fuck. then they kind of described it as a landmine. They're like, okay, does he have more pipes in it? They didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, on the second day of this hostage situation, police evacuated neighbors because they're like, okay, he has bombs. Like, we don't know yeah. how many. Um, and then they placed a speaker on the pipe so that they could speak with him at a distance without letting him know they had discovered his bomb inside of the tubing. And so then the same day, um, criminal profilers with the FBI's critical incident response team flew in on a Boeing 727 that was like blacked out, that had blacked out windows. Um, they had a, bo they had like bomb sniffing dogs, um, technicians trained to see and hear behind locked doors, crisis managers to make sure that the agents were like fed and housed. Um, and then they were joined on that flight by members of the FBI hostage rescue team, um, elite agents who, um, whose work straddled commando and cop. Sorry, I don't know what the fuck I typed. Okay, anyways. <laughs> the men set up camp across the highway from um, Destiny Church, that church that those kids were originally running to. And it was like a rat-infested building that over the years had been an antique store, a restaurant, and even a strip club. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. So um, the FBI began surveying the scene, and they were perplexed as to what to do just because they really hadn't... Um, dealt with a hostage situation like this and it was in 1988 so or not 1988 I was like wow <laughs> <Sorry>. wait what <laughs> it was in 2013 so it was kind of crazy like that they even said that um like this wasn't something they dealt with so they didn't really know how to handle the situation um yeah. anyways uh <laughs> sorry i don't know why i said <laughs> okay anyways um yeah so it didn't have, like, it was, like, a bunker with a hatch, not a door. Um, there was no windows for, like, snipers to sit and, like, with their guns pointed at. Like, no blueprints from the city. So, they really didn't know, like, what the fuck to do. So, Sheriff Olson had told the commander, like, just tell me what I need to do. And he even said, like, I don't know. I've never seen anything like this. So, they worked to find a way to recover the young boy, Ethan, and they started learning more about him. And that's where they found out, like, his mom was kind of an alcoholic. She struggled with drugs. In addition to him being, like, ADD and autistic. And he needed, like, medication because he had severe, like, behavioral problems. So they negotiated with Jim Dykes. And he agreed to let them deliver the boys medication. Otherwise, he was going to start, like, freaking out. Um, they also delivered, like, crowns and toys to the entrance of the bucker for him to, like, have. Um, so they watched as Dyke opened the hatch to see how he was keeping it secure. And he had steel cables used to lock bicycles, I guess, holding it down. Um, he asked, they also asked him at this time, like, hey, can we give you a throw phone as an easier means of communication? Because the weather was starting to get bad. It was, like, mm -hmm. rainy. They're all sitting outside talking through this fucking PVC pipe. Um, so Dykes took the phone, agreed, and then duct taped it to the wall, like, in the bunker. <laughs> okay I don't, I don't know why sure. so yeah so just as he had mentioned before to his neighbor and in his letter he had a story to tell like this big story um as he spoke with police he demanded that in exchange for ethan they would bring him a female tv reporter who would broadcast him live speaking his manifesto and that he would then put a balloon with helium over his head and commit suicide live on tv what? while the reporter held his hand what in the fuck? Yeah, really fucking bizarre, dude. Uh, I don't. No. Yeah. So, um, so after the FBI learned this, they had a 
agent like pose as a um you know broadcaster like they said she was like from an internet broadcast news Mm -hmm. thing whatever um so they call she calls him is talking to dykes he's like nearly in tears like you know this has been really hard on me too oh my god yeah so he's telling her like you know this story is going to take days for me to tell and just yeah he's like unhinged dude so they hang up they didn't make any further plans but then around six that same day he calls on the phone and he's like freaking out like it was all lies like it was basically all lies wasn't it like and somehow knows that like the fbi agent was an agent and not really like a reporter so by now it's the third day and everyone has been talking about this kidnapping it's like all over the news like Mm -hmm. nationwide um apparently an idea had come about to pump sleeping gas into the bunker but this was dismissed i guess after the um the russian one yeah which i didn't i wanted to look it up but do you know anything about that i just know it was a very serious hostage situation i don't know that it was sleeping gas i thought it was well maybe it was like they overdid it or something john knows more about it he had told me about it but but like everybody died yeah it was it was a whoops a daisy we pumped way too much in or we pumped the wrong shit in yikes and now we have no hostages and yikes no one to arrest it's really bad yeah it said like a hundred innocent hostages (gasps) died a hundred okay i thought maybe i thought that was crazy i was like whoa like yeah so um yeah so they're like fuck that idea like we're not doing that because i think it just happened like the year before this or something like that um so then they were like thinking of other things like oh maybe if we like drugged food and put it in there but then oh what if the little boy eats it and so like they just couldn't be sure like of what was gonna happen so um people were watching the hostage situation unfold on tv they're like calling in like this guy comes in who's like a beret and he's like i could storm that bunker like just let me do it like i promise you i'll get in yeah they're like um no No. like since because i think he like showed up or something like that something crazy with like another guy who's like a security (laughs) officer and they're like bye we don't need two of you we already have one yeah um people are like watching and they're calling in saying like hey like I'll take the place of this little five-year-old boy. Like, Aww. just let me, like, come. Like, stuff like that. And they're like, no, like, we don't need any more hostages. Yeah. Like, um, so the days were pretty long, and the police are continuing to investigate the property. Thankfully, they found um, no more bombs in those hidden pipes. So they were just, I guess, like, ventilation pipes. They did, however, find receipts from Home Depot and Walmart, and they realized that Jim did, in fact, have another bomb inside the bunker with him. So a man named Lieutenant Rafferty would spend eight to nine hours a day on the phone with Jim, which I was just thinking about that job, like being a hostage, like Uh -uh. crisis, whatever the fuck, like talking to these crazy unhinged people for like hours, like so crazy. So he would um, talk to him on the phone and he said the topics ranged from like gay marriage to gun laws and even Oprah Winfrey. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, And the calls would get pretty heated if Dykes felt like he was being interrupted. But then if the um lieutenant would shut down and not talk then he would also get like pissed like are you even listening to me you know so kind of like a hard situation um so on the fourth day of the hostage situation reporters from around the world joined the media camp that i guess was like at some old gas station across the way um and apparently because they knew that dykes had a tv in the bunker they asked reporters to keep certain images and other things off of the um error obviously so they weren't really giving the whole situation on the news just because they didn't want him to find out about anything and freak out 
And one of these things was this huge shipment of lumber that they had delivered. And so they had this lumber delivered that allowed Navy engineers to build, in a matter of hours, an above-ground mock bunker to be able to, like, plan a rescue. So they built it, like, right there, like, I guess on the property. And they were, like, practicing with it, like, reenacting things, kind of getting a better idea of what it looked like, I guess, inside. And so they needed a fast way down into the bunker if their negotiations failed. And so they needed entry, I guess, down into this thing that Dykes called the funnel of death, which was like a ladder set in an angle. And so that if anyone attempted to like jump down this funnel of death, that they would like break their legs or something like that. I don't know. It's kind of hard to picture, honestly, for me. But um, they designed a crossbar to place over the bunker's opening which would allow them to hang from the bar and then it would like cut their fall in half hopefully not like breaking legs or anything like that so they practiced this like multiple times in the mock bunker like that entry um profilers called dykes an injustice collector so basically like any perceived wrongs that had happened to him over the years he was like this is why like the government like you know just like Yeah. yeah so he'd been like stewing over this um they also labeled him as a promise keeper, seeing as how he had shot the bus driver, Charles Poland, after threatening to do so if he um, didn't give up the kids or whatever, which he did. So they definitely thought, like, if he threatened to kill Ethan, then he, he was going to do it. Probably would, yeah. Yeah. So how long has it been? Oh, an hour and 13. Do you think? I feel I, like I it's up to you, here, man. So I don't know. It's up to you because we... Oh, yeah. I don't think we mentioned that. We were thinking of dividing. Yeah, so it's going to be two parts. So For both of us. Yeah. We realized we were a bit off more than we could chew. Yeah. So you I still think... have like three pages, right? Yeah, I think I still have like three or four pages and I want to add to it. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. man. Fuck it. Let's stop here. Okay. Sorry. We're right. not finishing <laughs> our stories, but like, yeah. I'm not joking. So like, I had at least nine sources. I feel like I might have forgotten some to yeah. write some down. And then I just, I still, I'm still in the fucking 20s, yeah, dude. it is crazy. And like, I'm exhausted. It's like, no. I, I swear I've probably put at least, I mean, I, I want to say maybe 20 hours yeah, of dude, this fucking is like research into lot. this. And probably you too, dude. You've yeah. got eight fucking pages and <laughs> yeah. you're still missing, like, info. Yeah, I want to add to it, so I'm happy I get to work on it more, so. Yeah. Um, <sighs> yeah, and then we'll just talk about stuff later yeah Fuck. um oh really quick uh you saying rafferty i wonder no wait what state oh alabama never mind did you see under the banner of heaven uh-uh. it was kind of like it's like fundamental latter-day saint shit like this oh. crazy real life murder like i thought they were using like just made up character names for like oh to protect the identity of the family but it's like they used everybody's real name really tried to like wow kind of fashion it after this like real crime that happened so i think you'd like it huh, it's, it's like it's a got, movie it's a show oh. oh i think it's on hulu but it's uh, it's got andrew garfield in it oh yeah it's really fucking okay. good um and then i watched that one keep sweet pray obey that oh Sarah was has, it good oh my god it was so fucked up yeah i've been dude. wanting to watch it it's dark man 
I've of been course. seeing things like I'm more in Jeff's daughter and this is like on like weird video oh, like TikTok yeah. shit like that. I'm like, doesn't yeah. he have like a thousand daughters though? So, so I yeah. Don't know. yeah. Oh, like like speaking out against it or like it's Yeah, speaking out like against it. it. Like she oh. broke out like from like the cold and like yeah. just talking about experiences and like stuff like that. So I don't know, some kinda of interesting. Yeah, because they they really go into like how it's not well, like how it started, but like more how it got out of control. Like yeah. It it was like kind of culty, but it wasn't out of control. Yeah. Like it would be like, I don't know. Okay, like the creepy thing with marrying the young girls. Yes, obviously fucking disgusting. Yeah. But like they would still kind of let outsiders in if they really wanted to come in, and they weren't really marrying off very young girls um, to really old men. I think that it didn't start that way, but it it definitely ended, ended that way. way. Yeah. So. Um, really fucking dark man but very good yeah so yeah all right well yeah we better call it yeah still haven't figured out our little (laughs) catchphrase not that we need one (laughs) we're pretty fucking awesome so yeah we are (laughs) all right well all right ciao bye